We've come to um, the next to the last uh, sermon in the I Am series. And and this week, uh, we're actually going to look ahead uh, and we're going to go to the book of Revelation where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And I was thinking of the Alpha and the Omega. I was thinking of Revelation and what all of that looks like. Um, How many of you uh, ever watched the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition? No, I haven't watched the new one. Uh, they, they have one that is on HGTV or whatever that is. Uh, but um, the old version, the one with Ty, where they would come in, and Teresa and I used to love to watch this show. Uh, there was uh, awesome, heartfelt stories, and the whole group would come together. The family would come together. Friends would come together, and they would build this amazing house or, or completely transform this house. And then there was always that one moment that everybody looked forward to. The couple was standing there and then the bus pulled out and you know Ty would say move that bus and everybody would would cheer and the couple would cry and they were so excited to have this amazing uh, new house to live in and I think that that is the perfect picture of the book of Revelation the picture of what it will be like You know, when we look at uh, what the Apostle Paul writes, he gives us a good systematic unpacking of what faith we should have. But then we have um, John, the Apostle John, and he gives us in Revelation this artfully uh, metaphors. He paints a beautiful picture of of blessing and, and everything that's in store for God's people. You see, God has a place for us, a place where injustices, pain, suffering, they're all gone, where he will wipe away every tear, a place where all will be made right. God has tailor-built homes for us. Jesus made this clear. Uh, We talked about this uh, two weeks ago in John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so as we come to to break down this I am of Jesus, where he says that I am the resurrection, where he says I am the Alpha and the Omega, that just paints this beautiful picture of what we're going to look at next week. And next week, we're going to look at that I am where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that really encompasses everything of who Jesus is as we prepare for that sermon next week. You know, many times uh, people think of Jesus as this lowly man. That They think of this guy who went out and found this ragtag 12 group of guys that were fishermen and tax collectors and they followed him around and he, he made some bold statements and he did some great preaching and he, he did some miracles, but he was kind of a lowly man. He, he wasn't one that, that rose to power. And they see this Jesus as being meek and mild, but there's a whole nother side of Jesus that we have to make sure that we understand the power of Jesus. We go back and, and several weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 10, uh, starting in vor- verse 14, where he says that I am the good shepherd. Well, starting in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. That is the power of the Jesus that we serve. So, here's a little bit of trivia for you. Can anyone tell me the first man who walked on the moon? That one's pretty easy, right? I mean, that was 1969, Neil Armstrong. But now let me ask you another question. Who was the last astronaut to walk on the moon? No hands are going up. I mean, that's a lot harder, isn't it? I mean, to try to think, hey, it was Jack Smith. Now, I know a couple of you were like, Travis, I knew that one. But most of the time, we know who Neil Armstrong is. And, and we understand what he accomplished. But you see, just as important as the first man to walk on the moon, it's also important to know who that last man is that had that lunar moment where he walked on the moon. There's a first and a last always. So what does looking at, on Palm Sunday, looking at the Alpha and the Omega mean about Jesus? Why do we come to celebrate the Alpha and the Omega? Well, we've been looking the last several weeks at Jesus in his own words. And it never ceases to amaze me. Every time I say, hey, um, what would you guys like to hear me preach on? It never ceases to amaze me. Someone will say, Travis, will you preach on the book of Revelation? And when I talk to youth, they, they, they want to hear, well, what about the beast? And what about the dragon? And, and, and hey, what's this 666 number? And, and what is the mark of the beast? And a lot of people right now, they're, they're really wondering, are we living in the last days? This COVID-19, and, and they're saying that 100 or 200,000 people could perish in the United States. And if we don't do something quickly and, and, and completely shut everything down, it could be so much greater than that. And, and people are really looking and saying, could this be the last days that Revelation pushes us towards? A lot of people have questions about all of this. I mean, the book of Revelation is a hot topic. Uh, how many of you remember, this is several years ago, but how many of you remember the Left Behind series? I mean, for, for, for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, everybody was all about understanding the Left Behind series. They were the number one book, best-selling on the book of Revelation, but it was fiction. So don't go, well, the, what I read in, in, in these books, that must be what's going to happen. Those were fiction, so understand that. But everybody has this fascination with the book of Revelation. I think it's because when people read it, it brings a little bit of scaredness to them. I mean, there's a reason that people love to watch horror movies. It's because it scares them and gets them excited inside, and, and the adrenaline starts pumping when, when that guy is just walking towards them constantly. Well, we think about all of this, and, and there's this scary aspect to the book of Revelation. But here's the thing. I want you to be assured that that's not what it's about. You see, the book of Revelation, it isn't a horror story. It's actually a love story. It is exactly what the title suggests. It is a revealing it is the unveiling of the central character in the history of redemption. You see, the book is not focused on the what, 
but upon the whom of salvation. Jesus is the I am. And so he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You see, the great thing about the book and the main point of the book of Revelation is the fact that we realize that Jesus wins. We have a surety that God wins in the end. No matter what happens in this life, no matter what we go through, God wins. You see, in his earthly ministry, Jesus built a team of a bunch of those ragtag fishermen that we talked about, a bunch of laborers, tax collectors. He, he chose 12 disciples that would go with him everywhere. But then out of those 12 that he chose, there were three more that were really close with him. He had Peter, James, and John. And where we come to uh, in, in the book of Revelation, um, it's been 60 years since John has seen Jesus. And John has watched all of the other disciples pass on for the love of Jesus. He has watched or heard of all of their death. He alone remains. You know, it appears that Rome rules the world during this time. John the Apostle is on exile in on the island of Patmos, but not but things aren't always as they seem. You see, John was then given a vision of Jesus in his exalted state, overwhelmed with beauty and power and radiance of the risen Lord. He falls face down in front of Jesus as if he were dead, we read. What an incredible privilege for this former fisherman turned passionate preacher he then hears the voice of God booming in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You see, what this tells us is that God is in his upper story at this time. When it seems like God is not in control, it doesn't seem like we can find him anywhere. And we wonder, God, what is your plan in everything that's happening? The, the same thing could have been said in that first century. Is he in control? Is he there? This may sound strange, but when we read of what, of what Jesus just said, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. It may sound strange to us. What, what does it mean to call himself the Alpha and the Omega? Well, in that first century, those first century Christians, they would have heard it and they would have known right away what it meant because that was the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. It was like saying today, Jesus would have said, I am A and I am Z and I'm everything in between. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6 says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. It's hard for us to truly understand the implications of this truth. God is the beginning. He is the end. No one created God. He has no birthday. He was, he is, and he is to come. You know, there's many times that Little kids will come up to me. Children will come up to me. The youth will come up to me. And they want to say, they want to ask that question, Travis, where did God come from? 
I know many of you are sitting there going, yeah, that's right, Travis, where, where did God come from? And we, we really wrestle with this idea of God wasn't created because everything that we know, everything that we see with our eyes, with all of our senses has been created. But God has just always been. And that's so hard. It makes our brains just start spinning trying to understand this. Even the greatest thinkers in all of human history have struggled with this. Aristotle proposed that there must be a first cause, something or someone that by which everything else is made and owes its existence to. He also proposed that the first cause would necessarily have to also be the last cause. Even Voltaire, the unabashed atheist, stated that he could not dream that the watch exists and has not a watchmaker. But for us as Christians, God is everything. He is the reason that we have our existence. He is the reason that we have our hope. Even in the midst of all of the pain and the suffering of this world, we can still find joy and we can still find hope because as Christians, we know that this isn't the end. We know that there is something greater in store for us and he has went to prepare that place for us. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Therefore, Jesus is God. I want to read two other scriptures for you that we read in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, Jesus says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then we go to Revelation chapter 22, 12 through 13. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Each time this is spoken, it comes from the very lips of Jesus, our Lord. Again and again, as Jesus claims the divine mandate by exclaiming, I am. These verses shout that Jesus is eternally coexistent with the Father. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. So let's break this down. Let's look at, at these two uh, words. And what does this mean when we break it down? How do we see Jesus as the Alpha? He is there at creation, and he is creator. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Echoing the first words of Genesis, these verses tell us that Jesus Christ is God. He is the beginning of all things. He is the Alpha. He was there at the beginning of the world, at creation. And then we keep reading in John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He created everything. Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, they created everything. Everything is held together by his power and his majesty. His mighty work of Genesis is just as evident as his glorious return will be. 
he is the alpha of creation. He, all, he is also the alpha of our salvation. You see, until the first Good Friday, the human race was lost. We were separated from God until that first Good Friday. We were separated because of our sin. But Jesus began the final act of redemption by dying on the cross. You must always start with Jesus. On this Palm Sunday, we look at the final week of Jesus. We today celebrate um, as Jesus had that triumphal entry as he comes in to Jerusalem. And as the week progresses, we've looked over uh, the past couple of weeks, we've looked at that uh, last supper setting when he goes into uh, the upper room and, and what happens in those moments. I want you to look forward to this Friday on that good Friday because he is the alpha of our salvation. He is also the alpha of our resurrection. Jesus was the first to conquer death and provide us with living proof. Now, Jesus was not the first to be executed on a Roman cross. In fact, it's probably a good chance that Jesus wasn't the first one to be crucified on that very cross that he died on. He was not the first person to come back from the dead either. Lazarus, that we're going to talk about next week on, on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, Jesus brought him back. But here's the difference. Jesus was the first to defeat death. And that's very important for us to understand because here's the thing other people jesus did bring others back from the dead the difference is they still died again but jesus arose from the grave and is still alive and he gave us that living proof jesus was the first to defeat death let's look at first corinthians chapter 15 we're going to look at verses 55 through 57 first Paul says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was born for such a battle. He was born to die. He was born so that you and I could live. By defeating death, the ultimate consequence for our sin, he opened the door to heaven for all of us by being the first to rise permanently. We shall be raised as well. Now we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to go earlier of what Paul said in verses 51 through 52. Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. You see, Jesus is our Alpha, the Alpha of creation, the Alpha of crucifixion and death, the Alpha of our salvation. But you see, Jesus is not only the beginning, he is also the end. Jesus is the Omega. Now, how is he the Omega? How is he the end? I want to break a couple of things down for you of, 
of what Jesus ended. He is the end of the priesthood and the sacrificial system. We go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We read there, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So what does this mean? How is Jesus the end of the priesthood and that sacrificial system? Why don't we have to have those sacrifices any longer? We see Jesus became our high priest. At his death, he became our high priest. And you see, for the priest, their job was never finished. It was never done. And as long as they were on duty, no priest was allowed to sit down as long as they were on duty inside of the temple. But what does this verse tell us? What does Hebrews tell us? It says that Jesus sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. You see, what this verse explicitly tells us is that it is finished. Jesus is the Omega. He has finished the sacrificial system. He is also the end result of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, uh, just 2, I'm sorry, says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we see the idea again. Jesus is the beginning and the end of our faith. He is everything. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, our faith grows, and his passions become our passions. We need to take our eyes in the midst of all of the pain and the suffering that we have. And we just need to lift them up. We need to take our eyes and we need to focus them upon Jesus. Look forward. Look ahead. Because we know that Jesus is in control. We live in a fallen world. As a result of the fact of our sin, our pain, our suffering, our injustices. God is keeping count. As we begin Easter week, again, I want you to look forward to Friday. I want you to look forward and, and to peer in to what happens on Friday as you read through your Bible. To, to John, Good Friday sure seemed like the end. To Peter and Andrew and James. Good Friday wasn't so good. It was more like Black Friday. How disappointing it must have been to watch the events unfold. 
as they left the upper room and they went into the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus continued to talk to them as he prayed all of those soldiers came in they took Jesus away John and Peter they stayed close to Jesus in those moments they watched Jesus go through the trials to be beaten Jesus on that good Friday morning be scourged whipped with the cat of nine tails they watched Jesus be nailed to a cross to be mocked to be made fun of it sure seemed like this was the end the long awaited Messiah the one that they thought was going to just rise up and create this amazing kingdom was stripped, beaten, tortured, nailed ruthlessly to a cross and left to die. It wasn't the way it was supposed to end. The problem with the disciples is that they didn't know the true end. They didn't realize that this was just the beginning. These events were the beginning of a week that would echo throughout the universe. He was forsaken for our forgiveness. He was condemned so that we could be accepted. Our suffering servant, Savior, died on a cross so that we could live forever. The night before the cruel crucifixion, Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, he initiated a new covenant, another new beginning. Before the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, he brought to us that last supper, communion. And we've come to that part of the service where we're going to take communion and we're going to take the emblems that you have, whatever, whether you picked up some from the church, whether you have your own grape juice, you're using crackers, whatever you have. You, you cheese it and Mountain Dew, it doesn't matter. It's about what it represents. It represents Jesus is the beginning of all things. He's the beginning of your salvation. And we're going to take communion, and then as we prepare to end, if there's a decision that you need to make, you to know that you can make that decision to give your life to Christ, to understand what it means. You can put it in the comments. You can email me personally. You can send me a private message. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to give your life to Christ or, or whatever hurt that you're dealing with. I have one last scripture that I want to share with you as we prepare for communion. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for which it which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you prepare to take communion, I want you to remember the battered and beaten body of Jesus.
spatter blood. But I also want you to remember the awesome power of Jesus. The whole reason that we meet, the whole reason that we're looking forward to Easter Sunday is that he didn't stay in that grave. He arose. He defeated death. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for today. We thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that he is the Alpha and the Omega, that he is the beginning of all things. And Father, as we prepare to partake of communion right now, in our homes, wherever we're at, I just ask that you help us to remember that it wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. Because Jesus, by his death, his burial, and ultimately his resurrection, he defeated sin and death. He defeated Satan. And he did it for us so that we could live and spend eternity with you in heaven. So Father, as we prepare to take communion, I ask that you help us to always remember and look forward this week to Easter. We pray this in your son's name.